Poets and Scholars. Welcome back to another week of Sluts and Scholars. I'm Nicoletta. And I'm Simone. And we are beyond lucky to be graced by the presence of Ms. Sarah Graham. Uh, Sarah Graham is an intersex activist and drug addiction counselor and consultant. Uh, as an expert on drug addiction, she's a member of the Advisory Council on the Misuse of Drugs in the UK and a co-founder of the Amy Winehouse Foundation. In recognition of her intersex activism, she's been called an LGBT national... LGBTI national treasure in the UK, and she has been ranked second on the 2015 rainbow list for LGBTI people in the UK. She's also the world's first out intersex stand-up comic. Fun fact. That is quite a resume. <laughs> I was listening to that like, and that, and that, and that. No, Sarah's the fucking shit. I'm so glad she's here. <laughs> so for people out there listening, not everybody knows what intersex is. Could you tell us a little bit about what intersex is and what it means to you? Sure. In fact, nearly everybody doesn't know what intersex is. Uh, and the reason why people don't know what intersex is is because we've been deliberately obliterated from society. We've been hidden. Uh, the reality is that biologically, uh, one in 1,500 births uh, uh, is actually an intersex person. The child is a mixture of both female and male. It's somewhere on the scale between female and male. Uh, there's all sorts of different expressions of intersex, different conditions of intersex. Um, but uh, in many uh, cultures and especially in in the West, where we've got uh, surgeons who are very quick to get their scalpels out, mm. doctors like to wade in and make a decision as to which sex the child is really, and then assign a gender. And without often, consulting the parents, um, they they often go Just in there in the a parents. very in a very paternalistic way of we're going to work out what sex this child really is, mm. and we're going to help you make that decision, and then we're going to do surgery to fix this situation. I didn't realize surgeons were also God. Yes, well. <laughs> They are, unfortunately. Um, and it's often, but not always, based on ambiguous genitalia, right? Um, well, ambiguous genitalia is the way that um, is the way that some intersex babies become kind of very visible very early. But there are other conditions which become visible uh, when, for example, my condition, I, uh, if, if they hadn't diagnosed me when I was seven or eight years old uh, and I'd gone on to my teenage years, I wouldn't have had periods. And so that would have flagged up that something was going on and they'd have found out that I was intersex then. Um, going back to these operations, most of these operations are not necessary. There's no, there's no physical reason to do these operations except to, for, to make culture feel safer, that there is just to male pick and female. A gender. These operations are often damaging to sexual responsiveness. They're, they're sometimes damaging to fertility. And of course, you're making a decision for a child and the child may actually grow up and decide that they're not the gender that's been assigned to them. Absolutely. Uh, sometimes a, a baby boy might have had his micro penis cut off and been assigned as female and then decide he's very much a boy and he's now not got any sexual organ. He hasn't got any, any sexual pleasure from, from, you know, the penis that he had, and that obviously is incredibly traumatic. Um, and you also increasingly have intersex people like myself who want to be intersex. I don't want to have mm -hmm. to say I'm male or female. Uh, I am obviously biologically, in terms of how I physically present, more female. I've got boobs, I've got a vagina. She's got great, great boobs. boobs. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty impressive. Um, but uh, but I definitely am intersex. You know, psychologically, uh, I'm, I'm very intersex and my energy can be very male. And uh, I feel like I, if every time I have to tick the female box on the internet or filling in a government form, that I'm denying the male side of myself. Mm. And that is, that is traumatic. 
So uh, Sarah gave us articles to read as homework because we are slutty scholars, of course. I know. This is such an <laughs> educational show. It really is. So if you're interested in so doing some homework. Yeah. So we're obviously going to link to all of them. But one of the most interesting things that I read in the articles, this comes back to the operation stuff that you were talking about, is that 90% of uh, babies that go under an operation because they're intersex at birth are assigned to be female because it's easier to cut a vulva, I guess. It's easier to make a vagina than it is to make a functioning penis. Yeah. So, yeah. Isn't so, that incredible? Just like the ease of a surgery is what's going is to what dictate what's their been assigned to you. Yes. And actually that child may decide that they don't want to be that sex or decide that they don't want to have any surgery. I mean, any parent out there, think about the reality of your child having a, a general anesthetic and possibly even having to have multiple operations. That is very scary so for the parents, very scary for the child. And as a therapist and as somebody who's lived with the, the consequences of being operated on when I was eight, I can tell you it's lifelong trauma that is very, very difficult to overcome. I've gone to the best trauma treatment in the world in Florida, the refuge in Florida. I did three months residential treatment there. That's after doing nine months residential treatment for my addictions in 2001. Um, so I've been very lucky to have some of the best resources that uh, are available and I still struggle, uh, sometimes, um, you know, greatly with the trauma that I've been through, um, and with the kind of invisibility of being an intersex person in the world. What's interesting to me is that even in, you know, classes I've taken at the most liberal, whatever institutions or in like science books, the word hermaphroditism is still used as really? like a scientific thing. When did... I mean, I guess it might be different in the UK versus the US, but when do you think intersex started replacing hermaphrodite? Because most people I know do not are not familiar with the word intersex. They know hermaphrodite because it's been used in, you know, um, pop culture references in, you know, negative sure. ways. That's that that whole issue is an interesting one because, yes, hermaphrodite is the word that most people might have heard of. And mm -hmm. when people think of hermaphrodite, they will think immediately of somebody who's a mixture of male and female. Um, some people in the intersex community got very upset about hermaphrodite because they feel that it's not biologically accurate in terms of you don't mm. actually get people who are exactly a mixture of both you know um, you get people yeah, who are just degrees. be ambiguous yeah ambiguous or degrees but you don't that's that's not a biological reality however I'm a creative person and I actually quite like the kind of mythological romantic associations of, of hermaphrodite I think it is a quite a beautiful word and there's a lot of art and poetry around um, hermaphrodite which I think is 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 actually uh, quite beautiful I don't know if I'm familiar with that do you like know? Hermes and Aphrodite oh okay that's where okay. it comes from I'm assuming. I always assume that. I don't know if that's accurate. Yes. Um, and in, in terms of uh, when intersex took over, I would say certainly in the 80s and, and the 90s intersex took over. But what's been really interesting, there's only there's less than 100 out intersex activists in the whole world. Really? Yeah. It's So you said one in 1,500 births. One in 1,500. That's as common as somebody with red hair. Uh, Nicoletta has red hair. Yes. <laughs> She's a fire crush. Yes. Uh -oh. oh, it's fake? It's fake, that's guys. Why was, that's why I was looking at you and pointing. Do I... the carpets match the drapes, fakely? <laughs> if it weren't fake. Oh, that's too confusing. Yeah. No, there they don't match. Carpet. It's too early in this podcast again. Yeah, there's no carpet. <laughs> it's wood floors. <laughs> Bare floor, it's Newly okay. waxed wood floors. Ugh. That's how Nicoletta and I differ. Anyway. <laughs>
And I've completely lost my train of what? thought. Now. <laughs> and how do you keep your like... pubic hair? <laughs> well, there's a whole story. When, when I one, one of the traumas that I went through when I was a teenager in the 80s, I am that old, um, was that one of the side effects of my particular condition, I'm an XY woman, I've got androgen insensitivity syndrome. You're so gonna XY have to woman means you have the X chromosome sure. and the Y chromosome. So I, most yeah, women got, are XX. Exactly, but I've got XY chromosomes. But So all fetuses start out female. And then it's exposure to testosterone that turns the female fetus into a, a, a male fetus. Mm-hmm. My body has the XY chromosome, so I should have developed into a male, but my body is completely immune to testosterone. So actually, if we put on testosterone patches now, you two, if you're cisgendered women, would androgenize far more than I would. You know, you'd develop facial hair, you'd get really great muscles. So your uh, body just didn't, because of the androgen, yeah. the way it interacts, it didn't develop when testosterone was entering your body. Absolutely, yeah. So I stayed with a clitoris and stayed with the vagina rather than the vagina, the labia fusing over and fo- forming the scrotum and the clitoris oh God, growing into a penis. That is so interesting. Yeah, yeah. it's amazing. Um, so anyways. Ha ha, uh, your well, dick is labia. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Well, what I would like to say about this though is that actually we've got really into this whole gender division and mm-hmm. we put so much emphasis on sex differences and actually that's a relatively new phenomenon even in the middle ages um you know when 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 um, most people were out working in the fields there were far less differences seen between men and women just men and women work side by side and mm-hmm. one of my one of my little bugbears at the moment is um the future is female thinking and i studied anthropology and communications at goldsmiths just oh, put my credentials on the on the on the table oh for yeah a second. please lay them out <laughs> slutty scholar here if you look at many um, societies, um, ancient societies, they were matriarchal. You know, growing up in England, we've got uh, places like Stonehenge and Avebury, which are incredible um, uh, centres of human culture. And goddesses, goddess figurines, you know, the kind of very fertile, very mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. uh, thick female figures. Oh, so- very, I like calling it soft. We kind of look women. like oh, yeah, them. They, yeah, they, they, they we all look worshipped. like fertility goddesses yeah. up in here soft today. <laughs> yeah, soft, beautiful, round. Volupté. Um, that 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 was what it was all about worshiping the female now we're in a patriarchal culture and this patriarchy could actually end human society through ecological disaster especially if trump has his way with getting rid of all the legislation around protecting the environment political for a moment um but um i hope that we will move beyond patriarchy not back to matriarchy or not into thinking the future has to be female but into thinking the huge future has to be human and actually mm. about celebrating our diversity as human beings and our richness as human beings and wouldn't it be boring if we were all the same and we need to power share we need to power share what White, white and black people need to... Power, sorry, you say people of colour in this country, don't you? We say black in Britain. Um, can I... You can speak freely. I was being a Brit person for a second. Um, well, you, you, you are I a think, Brit person. I think what's important is that we're talking about it. And mm. sometimes when I notice that when people are so um, wary of the political correctness of the words, then often we aren't having the conversations because people don't feel even comfortable to uh, say the right words. Mm-hmm. Let me let me put that point again. There, I, I I hope that we will move not to the not, not to thinking the future has to be female. Of course, we need to we in terms of feminism, we need to have this kind of celebration of femininity and and girl power and all of that stuff has been so important. But ultimately, we need to join together as men and women, as as um, people who are non-binary, as human beings, and celebrate the fact that we are spirits in a material body, uh, and our existence in the material world is being threatened by our behaviour, and patriarchy is making the world very unsafe for for many people, not just uh, women, but children also, and for more vulnerable men, and for anybody who 
doesn't have the power. Power to truth, Sarah. How wow. did you how did you get to start I think thinking that way because I can't imagine the journey was easy. No, and this is one thing that's been amazing about my journey is that um I came out as gay when I was 17, I came out as a lesbian when I was 17 and I very much got into lesbian separatism. I went to Green and Common Women's Peace Camp where it was very much that women are joining together and men are the enemy. And Mm. I went through this kind of very kind of male hating phase. Was this before or after you knew you were XY? No, I didn't know. I didn't find out I was intersex until I was 24. So at this point, I'm I'm in the girl gang. I'm like, yes, signed up to the girl gang. Is that that, uh, a normal, I don't want to say normal age, but is it Mm. usually later on that people don't find out? Or it really um, varies. It it really varies. It's it's changing now for the younger generation. Um, disclosure is happening earlier, and that is a really good thing. But there are still many thousands of people uh, in America, in Europe, around the world who actually don't know the truth of their diagnosis. I spoke at the Rise uh, LGBTQ Addiction Symposium uh, a couple of weekends ago, and somebody came up to me afterwards and hearing little bits of my story, she was looking at her own life and realizing that she could well be an intersex person who was operated on when she was young and is still being told the stories by doctors and by her parents. Wow. Um, So when you, sorry, go ahead, finish. uh, Unfortunately, the, what happened in the, in the seventies was that there was this guy called John Money, who was a psychologist and based on one case, he decided that uh, nurture was far more important than nature. Basically this case was two baby boys um, who had circumcisions and one of the circumcisions went wrong mm-hmm. and the baby boy's penis was cut off. Oh, yeah, I learned you about may have this in school. Yeah. Yeah. So they, he decided to have this child raised as a baby girl and his theory was that because the child was pre-language that the child would accept being a girl. And every, yeah, they could nurture it Yeah, they could nurture it into being female if the parents went along with this decision, which they did because, you know, otherwise they faced having a baby boy with no penis. Um, and... This guy, John Money, wrote these papers every year and spoke at the conference circuit around the world saying how great it was going and everything was fantastic. He started lying quite early on because the little baby, as it grew up, um, didn't feel happy being a baby boy and ultimately in his 20s shot himself to death because he was so unhappy. Um, But by then the damage was done in terms of um, people, doctors around the world, thinking that you could uh, raise a child to, to... kind of ignore the physical side of sex. Um, and that thinking wow. is still dominating a lot of doctors' minds uh, when they when they go into discussions with parents. Oh, that's awful. You mentioned the stories doctors tell, and you mentioned not finding out until you were 24. I would love to, if you're comfortable sharing, sure. knowing what are these lies that doctors are telling? And also, if you could trace your own personal story of figuring out your intersex with kind of the main chapters. I know you talk about them in the articles, but I'd love to dissect them a little more. Of course. Um, Well, I was told when I was eight years old that I'm a very special little girl. I I got to see the world eminent gynecologist in London, a guy called Sir John Professor Dewhurst. Sir. Sir John Professor Dewhurst. Yeah, and this guy was literally... That's so British. (laughs) Yeah, he was literally God in a white coat, if you can imagine that. He had an army of medical students. He never had less than 15 medical students in tow from around the world. His book, Dewhurst, uh, Guide to Gynecology and Obstetrics, is still the book that medical students study, study, even though he retired and died some time ago now, it's updated by by other eminent uh, doctors. Um, and so I got to see this guy. He diagnosed me uh, and obviously started telling his medical students the truth of my diagnosis, but told me and my parents that I had ovaries that were going to become cancerous when I was a teenager and that they had to be remo- removed as soon as possible. Instead of the truth, which was that you had undescended testes. Yes, the truth is so the that students I had... So he knew. knew. And he knew. Yeah. 
And they were examining me every six months. I, because I was such a special little girl, I could help so many other people uh, around the world by these doctors being allowed to examine oh. me. So every six months, I basically had to kind of surrender my body to science, um, and was this kind of special specimism. What did your parents Sorry, think? Special specimen. What did wow. your parents say or think about this? So they thought you were also the quote unquote special little girl, yeah. and just brought you in every six months for testing and invasive exams and. Well, because they'd been told the story that I, if I didn't have the operation, I'd get cancer. I think mm. they, so they thought they, they, thought they, the right they were thing. doing the right yeah, thing to make sure I was being the checked C out. Word, yeah, you know, exactly. Take People care would of do yourself. anything. Now, one thing that was particularly harmful about that That's story. so unethical. Yeah. But one thing that was harmful about that story was, first of all, it made me think as a child that the Grim Reaper was stalking me and that I was supposed to die as a teenager. So that really kind of made me feel like I was living on borrowed time. And that really fed into my addiction. I started drinking at 12 and taking other drugs when I was 14. Um, and ended up in rehab when I was 32, uh, almost dead from my addiction. Um, and that was partly because I was kind of trying to trying to take control of the situation. I'd rather die on my terms than die, you know, randomly from some cancer that was coming to get me. So yes, yeah, so many people were making decisions for you and taking your agency from you. Yes. And I'm guessing it sounds like alcohol and things were things that you could control. Absolutely. I felt really bad about myself. I'd been through a lot of trauma. Alcohol and drugs made me feel good about myself. I love two therapists talking to each other. <laughs> <laughs> There's a common language. Processing. I'm, like, I'm here because I like to talk about banging. Uh, I also I, like I that. I love to talk about banging too. <laughs> no, we're going well, to that. I wanna get we're to that. Get yeah, yeah, we will get there. Um... But the then then um, the other piece of the story that was so harmful uh, when I discovered the truth is that actually, in reality, my testes wouldn't have become cancerous. They could have stayed in my body and produced hormones naturally. I've been on HRT, hormone replacement, since I was 12. Mm. If they had have left my testes in my body, the testosterone that they made would have been broken down into estrogen because the body's very clever. It would just break it down into estrogen. I would have grown breasts. I would have um, produced hormones naturally. I'd have been perfectly healthy. The, the, the risk of those testes becoming cancerous is actually less than the risk of a teenage girl's breast becoming cancerous. So to operate and take them out would be like saying, oh, well, this teenage girl's growing breasts. These could get breast cancer one day. So we're going to chop, wow. chop them off. So they literally just took them out because they were uncomfortable with the idea of yes. a girl having testes. Absolutely. Would it, they produce spermatozoa? No, I would have been infertile. Mm. But um, but yeah, they That's... they basically took them out because it's not okay for a girl to have balls. Well, I think you still you're have the balls, ballsiest whether they're girl in there I know. Or not. Yeah, I am. In fact, I've got the t-shirt. I know. I've got the um, the uh, pin over here to prove so it. Sarah and I met, so Sarah and I met doing uh, a stand-up class together, and then she developed this incredible one-woman show, uh, which was called Sarah G Spot, the number one ballsy woman. There you I go. I love that. That should be a, like an actual But she actually show. has a show coming up really soon called Angels Are Intersex, right? Yeah. My next show, uh, which um, is being written at the moment, is going to be in the Son of Semele Festival in Los Angeles uh, from July 20th to the 23rd. Um, and I'm writing that at the moment, doing the interviews with lots of people at the moment. Well, that. this episode is going to come out right around then. So wow. there you yeah, go. How can, people, how can people find information? Um, if you go online and Google Son of Semele, S-E-M-E-L-E, Sun Semele Festival. It's in Silver Lake in Los Angeles. But more important than the festival, plug your show, which is on Angels Instagram. She's are, at in Angels Are Intersex. Angels Are Intersex. Yes. Um, okay, so let's talk about banging now. Um, <laughs> well, this is not necessarily banging necessarily, but I am so interested 
from the transition to being this like stalwart, as you said, like man hating uh, lesbian, mm. and then finding out that you are in fact an X Y woman. Mm. How did you divulge that to not only lesbian friends but also lesbian partners and lovers? Well, I or didn't. Do you? I didn't because when I was in, when I finally had a doctor who told me the truth, and it took a lot of cajoling and it took a lot of kind of presenting bits of story that didn't make sense from different doctors over the years. I'm being lied to for so long. I can't imagine to cajole a doctor into telling you the fucking truth about yeah. your body. This makes me question a lot, right? Now. Yeah. It's hard. I mean, it's hard knowing healthcare out there. Like you get so many different messages, and you always wonder, well, are they working for a pharmaceutical company? Mm-hmm. Oh God, are they working for you know for this and for that? And so it's like how. We can't even often trust the people that we're supposed to be trusting. Yeah. I, I would like to say, though, that I think that that um, things are changing and that um, it's really important that those doctors who listen to this podcast or friends of doctors ask those doctors to go out and do the research themselves. Because still, as an intersex person, like I've obviously since I moved to West Hollywood, I had to get a doctor here. And the doctor here was exactly the same as many doctors I've experienced in Britain in terms of I sit down with the doctor, I tell them what my diagnosis is, I tell them what my hormone replacement regime is, and then I have to educate them what intersex is because they've got no idea. Wow. Do you need some? Let me know if you need some other referrals. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So you finally cajoled the doctor into divulging that they that you're quote-unquote ovaries had been testes? Yes. And I and that I, because that was in your medical record? and that it was, per- Yeah, he basically <gasps> sent me outside with this pile of notes, uh, sort of a foot thick, said, go and read these. I think you deserve to read them. And it was the most shocking thing that you wow. can imagine reading. Oh, a, my fucking God. Yeah. And um, that sentence, your ovaries were testes, was like a nuclear bomb for me. It was like a, a shame bomb. I Because mm. I'd always had questions around my gender. I'd never really felt... I'd never felt completely female as a kid. I liked male toys like Tonka toys and I had a commando push bike and my friends were all boys. I thought boys were cooler than girls. Girls used to annoy me when I was young. Um, and I, you know, I, was, I was a real, I was a real tomboy. And, uh, um, and then I became a cool lesbian, you know, or I felt like I was cool for the first time in my life in the lesbian gang. And so when that doctor finally disclosed the truth, I had a girlfriend sat in the waiting room and I was in such shame about it. I really did go into that, into thinking, well, does this mean that my lesbian girlfriend won't want to be with me anymore? Mm. And does this mean that I'll get kicked out of the lesbian gang because I've got the wrong chromosomes and I did have testes, you know? And uh, I think the sad truth is, though, that there is still a lot of, um, I don't want to say hatred, but like you were saying, intersex often gets left out of the LGBTQ. I, I, you know? Yes. Well, I, I, as a therapist and as somebody who has uh, trans friends and, uh, Uh, and uh, kind of has done some thinking around the politics of this, I really think that the trans community and the intersex community really need to work together because Mm. actually we get treated in very opposite ways by doctors. Intersex kids get operated on as soon as possible and given hormones at the earliest possible moment, even though they've got no evidence based about what the long-term risks of that are, whereas trans kids have to fight to get hormone blockers and fight to get the hormones that they they Mm. need and want and often can't get surgery until they're much older. Right. What a great point. Yeah, so I think there are real alliances to be made for inter- between intersex people and trans people. And I also think that everybody who has a kind of an essentialist view of the body and sexuality, you know, those those feminist lesbians who don't want to embrace trans women turfs. into the Fuck fold. Fuck them. We're not turfs. Yeah, yeah, and anybody who kind of gets really into the whole biology, kind of essentialist biology, 
intersex people really have a lot to say to you about the reality of of creation. Mm. You know, and, and I think we also, and this this is why the play that I'm writing is called Angels Are Intersex, is because angels are messengers from God. You know, a lot of religions, um, and especially Christianity, bang on about God created man and woman, and only man can marry woman. Well, God also created intersex people. So, who, as an intersex person, would God have me marry? Mm. Mm. You know, what a great title then. Yeah. And of course, you know, and I'm, I've heard you talk about this in your podcast. It's all about the heart, really. It's all about connection. It's it's all about love. It's all about safety. And, the and things, orgasms. Just and, yeah, no, absolutely. It's <laughs> not, not about just orgasms. Orgasms. <laughs> no, orgasms are very, very important. I know. I had quite a few this morning. <laughs> Lucky you. Yeah, no. Hashtag Actually, blast. I could boast of this. Point. I was at work. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> I have a new lover, and I was making love at four thirty this morning. Oh, good for <laughs> you, Sarah. Well, I feel really left out. Okay. Oh, stop. You're probably banging tonight. Um, but so okay. Fair enough. So you didn't divulge at the time to your lesbian lovers and friends that you were intersex. I told that girlfriend. You did. Yeah, I, she was a long-term girlfriend. She's actually somebody I was with for seven years, and I told her because she was a safe person. Um, How'd she react? She was she was very loving and kind, and kind of upset at the treatment. And she was she mm. was kind of uh, m- much more loving of me than I was. You know, I went into a complete shame spiral and self-hatred and my addiction went off the scale, right. you know, because now I had the perfect addicts, you know, can can the the weather being bad can be an excuse to have a big use up when you're in your addiction. Mm. So imagine hearing that you actually had testes instead of ovaries. That's a fantastic reason to go out and get completely effed up. Fucked up, up. yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. And I stayed effed up from that, that year, which was 1994 until 2001 when I ended up in rehab. Wow. And that helped you get out of it? Or what what helped you emerge into what you are now? I mean, I think Um, we're all still developing and emerging into who we are. But, I mean, that sounds like a rough time. Yeah, it was was very rough. Um, uh, Yeah, it was very rough. Did most people react like your girlfriend did in a positive way? You know what? I didn't. I then didn't tell anybody else. Mm. I, I lit. It was my the first article I wrote uh, was called "The Secret of My Sex," which you can I still see online, one. and um, it really was my big dark secret that was nobody knew except for that one girlfriend who was called Alison. I didn't tell my parents. I didn't tell my brother. I didn't tell anybody. Um, I I started I started um, sexually acting out a lot more uh, when I was high and drunk because I became so ashamed that I couldn't have sex with my partner and I couldn't. I couldn't do healthy sex anymore at all. I hated myself physically from that point on. So I would get completely fucked up and, you know, have inappropriate, risky sexual encounters with people, um, you know, to prove to myself I was still attractive. Because I, in my head, suddenly, you know, I'm completely unattractive and sexually worthless. Mm. Um, and so I kind of compulsively went out and sought people to kind of say to Affirm me that, the love. Yeah, that, that you need that, yeah. our validation but you're hot as shit <laughs> <laughs> well as Simone started talking about and I think obviously there's so much science behind it and and even trauma and addiction but what's really important at least in the work I do with with my clients is going from you know surviving to thriving and I yes. think a big part of that is pleasure yes so how does the xy chromosome woman experience pleasure like does it get in the way because of hormones is there any issue with that well, one thing that's been very interesting, and again, this has informed my work a lot. Uh, one thing that's been very interesting is uh, in 2006, I started seeing a new endocrinologist, a guy called Dr. Conway, and he's got an actual team around him at UCL Hospital in London. He's got an en- he's, he's the endocrinologist, there's a gynecologist, and then there's a psychologist all working together, and this is best practice. Um, 
And he said to me uh, that some women in my situation find it useful to go on testosterone. I'd been on estrogen my whole life. Um, and he said, why don't you try some t- testosterone? It may make you feel more alive and it may give you a better sex drive. Um, so, uh, and he said, you know, you won't experience any negative side effects in terms of facial hair or hair Oh, because loss you don't, or, yeah, you're because I'm immune right. to it. Yeah. Mm. Um, and it was really interesting because I went on uh, not a massive dose. I mean, um, it was a quarter of a tube every three days of testosterone. Very quickly, I started no- noticing an energy change. Um, I noticed having that my, more my, energy, having more energy. My sexuality really became much more male. Um, sex be- moved from being something that was much more kind of a choice and kind of about emotional connection and intimacy and all of those all of those things that need to be in alignment into being something that was much more of a biological drive. So that gave me hmm. a lot more a lot more empathy for guys. It was much more of a kind of, you know, like you, every day we have to eat and we have to drink. It became much more yeah, that kind of experience. Pipes. Yeah, cleaning out the pipes, much more <laughs> that kind of experience. Huh. Uh, I became more aggressive. I, be, I developed more muscles. Uh, you know, I'd do the same workout or do the same swimming or whatever. And my body was changing much quicker. Um, my clitoris got bigger. Oh, lucky yeah. you. <laughs> well, you say that and it was. But psychologically, it's it's, it's think, imagine this for Difficult a moment. To well, imagine this for a moment. You're in your 30s and your body's a certain way, uh, and you know your body, and then your body starts changing. Uh-huh. And yes, in terms of pure function, that was very interesting, and new things became possible. And when I was in a cool, open minded, positive space, it's like, yeah, fantastic. This is great. However, of course, it made my intersexness more visible. Mm-hmm. So it made heterosexuality and, you know, I, I identify as queer. So it, it made the possibility of sleeping with male partners who consider themselves to be straight more challenging. Hmm. Um, and also when I was in the shame or when, when I was having a bad day around being intersex, you know, it's, I'm much more obviously so. I couldn't go back into my denial as easily. Mm-hmm. And that's to a group of, of people that I've seen who get, made fun of the most like I think I remember there was something back in high school where people were giving Lady Gaga a hard time for having a quote-unquote larger clitoris um or the the late wrestler China who had the larger clitoris from taking testosterone or working out a lot or whatever but people make so much fun and make such a big why are we so uncomfortable with that clitoris Mm -hmm. when in reality we know that the clitoris most of it is inside of us and is Mm -hmm. actually pretty big anyway yes and I just learned recently that as we age the clitoris can grow like your nose? Anyway, is it like yes. your nose? It never stops growing. Well, the thing yeah, is, <laughs> the clitoris does respond to testosterone, and as women get older, they their estrogen effect lowers and mm-hmm. the testosterone effect increases. So, yes, as you get older, your clitoris can get bigger. That's so interesting. Did and I'm sorry if this is an upsetting question. Um, it, did did having a larger clitoris like feel reminiscent of like a penis that you were supposed to have or something like that? Was that triggering? And then following up on that, does that do you feel any different when you wear a strap on? <laughs> <laughs> These are my two questions. And you don't have to answer them, but I'm wondering. <laughs> Okay, tell me the first. Uh, the second question has made my mind go off in a frenzy. <laughs> me tell me too. The first, the first, question, the first question is: Was part of ha- what? So you talked about how sometimes having the larger clitoris made you like fine and happy. And you're like rah rah yay, and then other times it was kind of reminding you of your intersexness. Yes. Was it reminding you of your 
quote unquote ambiguity or was it very more specifically like, oh, wow, this is like a penis that I would have had had my body been receptive to testosterone? You know what? I think all of those things, because at various points as a child, and I think some I think this is quite common for girls. Actually, I, I had kind of penis envy. Mm-hmm. You know, Freud would love this, but I did, <laughs> I did have penis envy. And there were times when I kind of used to fantasize having having a dick when I was younger. I, I think that lots of girls do that. Oh, but, yeah, but definitely. Yeah. But when what I what I would do with it for a day, I think about that often. Oh yeah, pee everywhere. Wouldn't be, yeah, wouldn't that be fun? That's interesting, actually, because I have late. I've got a dog who I love called Scotty, the rescue beagle from He's London. He's fucking adorable. And I have had this thing, and I'm writing stand-up material a lot at the moment as well. So that kind of gives you the freedom to kind of listen to bits of yourself that you might ignore usually. Mm-hmm. I have been really wanting to pee outside lately. <laughs> What's stopping I've, you? I've seen it as dog envy, but actually my, <laughs> my my girlfriend pointed out to me that perhaps this is boy envy. Yeah. Perhaps this is the male part of you wants the freedom yeah. to go and pee in the bushes, and it could well be. You're welcome to pee in the bushes outside of our studio when we're done. <laughs> so, <laughs> so then to come to the second part of my question, do you feel like I, you're... I, I have one more thing oh, I'd yes, like to yes, say yes. about the first part. You know what? In terms of in terms of my journey and my acceptance um, now, and this is very recent. You know, in the last in the last few weeks, I've started dating somebody, and I finally uh, in my in my you know I'm 48 years old, and I finally attracted somebody into my life who genuinely is embracing of my being a non-binary intersex person. You know, I, the la- the previous two relationships were women who were attracted to me as a woman. They mm-hmm. want. They wanted me to be kind of in in a lesbian relationship with them, and were happy and c- comfortable with my femaleness, my female energy, but couldn't deal with my maleness and couldn't deal with my physical intersexness. Uh, I I feel, actually, not so much the second second person. That's a, that's not fair to her. But um, having that person in my life means that how I feel about my body is is has you know I'm I'm feeling very affirmed in my body and I'm feeling very happy with my body. Mm. Um, which is great. Uh, mm-hmm. She actually is a Christian, and uh, I've got to read the notes on how to refer to her to make sure I get this right. <laughs> <laughs> Sarah's taken out her phone. She literally has actually, notes written down. Uh, That's very respectful. Yeah, very respectful. She is a mostly straight, queer woman. So she um, she actually considers herself to be a virgin and hasn't had penetrative sex with a phallus-like object. So, oh, so no strap-ons with her. No strap-ons with her. Yeah. But you have worn a strap-on in unless your life, I, unless I marry her. Unless you marry her, which oh, you can do in this marriage. in this great country now. Fantastic. Um, uh, but so, have you worn a strap-on? In the past, yes, yes, I have. And when you wear a strap-on, do you feel like ah, oh, yeah, like at home with? I don't know. I've never <laughs> worn a strap-on. I've it's never. It's amazing. Okay, I think. I think everyone should. I've never worn a strap. Straight men love getting women. pegged. Yep, yeah, getting pegged. <laughs> the girl just goes, "Yep." Yeah, I'm just looking around the room at the men in the, in the room. But that's not fair. That's not fair to them. But no, seriously though, look. I mean, not all straight men, because some straight men are uncomfortable and, and see it in terms of this is going to make me. You know, this does this mean I'm I'm homosexual really mm-hmm. if I let a woman do this to me? No. But the, re- the biological reality, as we know, is that it feels great as a man to get fucked up the arse because you've got. Uh, a prostate. A prostate, which mm-hmm. feels incredible. Do you, you have a prostate? I don't think I do, but I do like anal sex. So I, I actually, maybe I, actually, I, actually do. I said, Maybe I do. But you I need find to ask your new doctor. I should ask my it new doctor. It would be pretty cool to have your... a prostate that and a clitoris. Cool. Oh yes. my God. I need to find this out. Yeah, yeah, you do. Fo- <laughs> we got to schedule you for a follow up because we are running out of time right now, but there is so much more that we want to talk to That's you about. That's my take home for today. Have I got a prostate? <laughs> you think I would know that though? That's pretty appalling. That I don't. Hey, know. but no. I mean, how could we? How could there? You're always going to be discovering more. And for exactly. someone who's been lied to for so many years, you've found out so much about yourself, and I'm mm. sure that's going to continue. 
and that's what I. That's one thing that is really amazing about being an intersex person uh, and being. You know, I think I may have said there's less than out, uh, less than one hundred out intersex people in the whole world. So there is a real wow. responsibility that goes goes with this. Um, but we are on a complete journey of discovery as individuals and and as an out intersex person. Every time I speak uh, in a public forum. I get lots of people contact me, you know, who haven't spoken to anybody else. And I get to put more pieces of the puzzle together and discover, because there are many, many different kinds of intersex uh, diagnoses and uh, and many different doctors uh, out there who have treated it in different ways. So usually. for anyone listening who's questioning or maybe not out about being intersex, mm. um, what advice would you give them mm-hmm. to get some support? Because it sounds like resources are somewhat limited. And I just did the math. If I'm doing it correctly, mm. if one in 1500 births are intersex, that's like over 4 million people right now. Yes. And we only are a hundred size- are out. We are a sizable community of people. And I think that the, I think. And I'm guessing of- some people don't even know. Yes, some people don't know. A lot of people know, but are in that place that I was of not telling anybody and being mm-hmm. deeply ashamed. We have no research into uh, levels of addiction, levels of self-harming, le- levels of suicide. I suspect that we're at least equal to the trans community mm. in all of those stats, which are appalling. I would imagine. If not, if not worse, because our trauma starts so young. Um, so we, th- there's a huge um, piece of work that needs to happen here in terms of offering treatment resources, support and healing to this community. That's why I spoke at the conference, uh, the addiction conference recently. That's why I love speaking to therapists like yourself, because it's really important. I mean, l- America is so fantastic in terms of the treatment culture you have here and the openness about engaging with therapy. Uh, but therapists often don't know about intersex Yeah, we conditions. get one, one class, if any, on, on human sexuality unless you're a sex therapist, and yes. that, that can barely cover, you know, wow. quote-unquote normative mm-hmm. sexuality. It's not enough. Yeah, it's not enough. So is there a community online, or yes. are there resources that you recommend? Um, there, there are, I mean, as I said, there are five or six major intersex uh, diagnoses. Each one has its own support group. So go online, Google... Uh, make contact with those support groups, um, uh, get into therapy if you can, because you've really got to kind of work out how this has affected you and get to that place of being able to come out to yourself and then start coming out to the people around you. Mm. It's really important that we do start coming out as a community because as long as we're invisible, then doctors have the upper hand in that room when the baby's just been born to persuade the poor parents who are being pressurised by the relatives. Is it a boy? Is it a girl? You know, that pressure is always going to be there until everybody in society knows that actually it could be an intersex child. And if it is an intersex child, that's okay. Mm -hmm. That child can choose to stay intersex and not have to pick male or female. Mm -hmm. Wow. Oh, my gosh, Sarah. Thank you so, so much for joining us. It's been such an edifying conversation with you. And I want to have you back to talk about addiction and like sex and sobriety. I'm so interested in that. So we'll definitely have you back if you're willing and you have the time and your very busy schedule. I just want to make sure that anybody who wants to find you on the Internet can. So your Instagram is my Instagram is angels are intersex. You can also reach me on Twitter at addiction expert is my professional account or at Sarah Graham, six, nine Graham, like. Graham Cracker. Did you say nine. six nine? <laughs> I, was, I was born in sixty nine. Ah. I, I slipped into what a great years. year! What, what a great fabulous year. year! Well, thank you so much again for joining us. This was amazing. If you like this episode, please leave a review, subscribe, check us out at Sluts and Scholars on Instagram or Sluts Scholars on Twitter. We would love to hear from you. Thank you, Sarah. This has been amazing. We will see you next time. Yeah, thank you. lovely to meet you.